0: Welcome to the Investing Tutor Podcast, the show for professionals looking to master the most up-to-date strategies needed to build wealth and provide a stable financial future. Here's your host, Dr. Hans Boateng. Hello, friends. Dr. Hans here, the Investing Tutor, and I have an incredible episode for you today. Joining us on today's podcast is Barbara Shrihans. Barbara is the owner of Your Tax Coach, a tax consulting company that helps business owners, entrepreneurs, and self-employed individuals save money on taxes. So you all get ready because you're in for a treat. Help me welcome our guest, Barbara Shrihans. Barbara, welcome.
1: Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here.
0: I guess I want to start by asking this question, why do we pay taxes? So, for example, in the U.S., why are we taxed? And has this always been the case? And if not, what led us to this point where we are taxed on our income?
1: Yeah, so taxes started as a way to fund war, And I do think that's a significant reason why we still have taxes and why there will always be taxes. But as far as increasing tax rates, it's simply because there's a higher demand for government subsidies or government programs. And so the government needs money and it has to come from somewhere. And so they tax their citizens.
0: So, in essence, what you're saying is that the way that the government is able to bring in money is mainly by taxation so other than taxes there's no other way for the money to the government to have money am i right
1: well i do think there are other ways um they can borrow money they can invest money just like we invest our own funds they can invest their funds as well and There are other ways the government can get money, but for the majority, a lot of it is taxes.
0: So what got you passionate or interested in taxes? Because it seems so complicated.
1: So growing up, I, I always loved math and I always loved law. Like I thought I was going to be a lawyer. And then I realized law school just seemed daunting, but so I knew I always wanted something to to be in like the math numbers space and then when I was in college I was I became a single mom and so I went to my career counselor and I I asked her I was like what is one job that 100% the day I graduate I'm going to get a job and she said accounting and so I was already majoring in business but wasn't sure about my specific concentration, and so I made that accounting. And then when you're in accounting, you can choose either tax or audit. And I liked the tax side of things just because it was more law-based. And so, yeah, that's how I got into it.
0: So off the top of your head, what are one or two amazing tax strategies that someone who's listening, and I guess you can break it into two, you can speak to that entrepreneur, or business owner, right? What they could, like a tax strategy. It could be one or two that they can think about, know, and also for the individual that doesn't have a business, is there one or two tax strategies that you can share that they can implement as well?
1: Yep. Yeah, so for business owners, the first thing I look at is what entity type they are. There's a bunch of different entity types. And a lot of people are either sole proprietors or LLCs. I would say about 80% of business owners are either sole proprietors or LLCs. And you're actually taxed the highest when you are that entity type. So I dig into their business, figure out what their profits are, and see how much they would save if they were to switch their entity to an S corporation. Now, there are more requirements and rules for being an S corp. But the tax savings can be huge. You can save up to $20,000 per year just by switching to an S-corp. And if you're a husband, wife, or spouse's business owner, that's double. You can save up to $40,000. So that's something I look at first is, is their entity type accurate? I would say another really fun strategy is if you have any children to employ your children in your business, and you can actually pay them tax-free. And then it's a business expense in your business. Now, of course, there's documentation involved and we have to assign them a job. But um, with social media and the internet now, it's pretty easy to, to figure out a job for them. So those are a couple of fun strategies. When you're a W-2 employee, it's a lot harder to, of course, find those legal loopholes. But there's a lot that you can do around retirement and investing. So. I would say the first thing to look at is make sure you're maxing out your 401k if you have one with your employer, because that's tax free money, you know, pre tax money that you can set aside for your life later. And then if you are a qualified investor, which you have to hit certain income thresholds for that, but there's some really cool oil and gas investments that can really help you tax wise as well as conservation easements. Those are pretty complicated, hard to get into, but the tax savings are phenomenal. I helped about a dozen clients do conservation easements last year and they saved millions of dollars. So those are some cool ones.
0: So then in the network marketing space, The typical pitch to people to kind of like have their own side business is that once you have a network marketing business, you can write off so much, right? I wanted to go down that path, not necessarily only about network marketing, but for the person who starts a business and let's say for the first year or two, the business is not really making that much money. How does the person leverage, for example, a side business to be able to, uh, you know, reduce their tax burden? Like, for example, if they have expenses in starting their business and over what period of time do they have to demonstrate how, like, you know, is this business a legitimate business to continue to qualify for those tax benefits?
1: Good question. So that gets into it's called the hobby loss rules. And so yeah, just like you were saying, a lot of the network marketers, they kind of promote it as well, now you have a business, so you can write off a lot, which is true. If you have a home office, you can write off home office deductions, you could write off vehicle deductions, as well as all of your meals that If you have a meal with someone and you're talking to them about, you know, the product or service that you're selling. And so it is a really good way to throw off a taxable loss. And like most businesses, you probably will have a loss in the first couple of years. And that's okay. The rules state that you can have a loss in two of the last five years. It's just that that third year, you know, it might be in question, but In the 11 years I've been doing this, I've never actually, knock on wood, had anybody get audited for hobby loss rules. And even if you were, all you would have to do is demonstrate that you have been trying to get profit in your business. So that's pretty easily provable if you can show meetings on your calendar, things like that, advertising in your business. Cool thing with Instagram, it saves all your stories. So you could even show them like, you know, this is what I've been sharing for the last two, three years and it just hasn't had a profit yet.
0: That's phenomenal. Uh, thank you for that information. Another fascinating thing that I believe the data shows is that most people prefer to receive a tax refund. So like the average person doesn't mind if they are paying more in taxes during the year or the, in terms of the, uh, um, and you you can correct me whether it's like the exemption claim, right? Whether to claim one, two, or three, which I think you should definitely talk about that because most employees, when they are given that tax form, when they get a new job, you know, whether to claim one, two, or three, depending on if they have dependents and things of that nature, it's going to dictate the portion of your income that's going to be taxed, right? So if a person um, claims, let's say one or zero, they are going to be taxed the most and they'll get a larger refund. So then the study showed that most people prefer a larger refund, but is this the smart way to go about it? Or should should people be looking at it as trying to get to the most efficient um, exemption number so that you're not giving too much money up front.
1: Yeah, exactly. So I think my answer would be different than my clients' answers. Just like you're saying, most people want that refund. It makes them feel good. They get a big chunk of money all at once. And so there's a couple ways of looking at it. I think for my clients that are maybe not so good at saving their money, it's a good way for them to sort of save throughout the year. And then they just happen to get it you know, in April, and then they can set that chunk away in savings. However, my clients that are a bit more savvy in investing will say that they never want to get a refund because their money could make more money for them in other places, as you know, like the stock market or high yield savings accounts, things like that. So it really just depends on the client. I know people like refunds, but that just means you are loaning the government your money.
0: It's a fascinating way to think about it. You know, when I discovered that, it was quite a huge revelation. So let's switch to talk about the $1.9 trillion uh, package. Well, as of this recording, you know, there are talks that it's going to be roughly about $1.9 trillion. Can we talk about the new, in quote, tax credits that they are looking to offer for um, dependents? So if, for people listening, for pe- you know, people with kids, I believe it's, it's a significant number. Is there an income threshold to be able to qualify for this uh, uh, tax credit? And if you can tell us uh, what you know about the $1.9 trillion package, uh, together with any of the tax benefits that come with that.
1: Yeah, so right now, I mean, of course, it's all speculation. So different reporters will say different things. And so I will always update my clients within a day or two of an actual law passing. But until then, it's kind of all speculation. But kind of the common things going around, as you probably know, is a third stimulus payment. So another $1,400 per person. And there's talks of the income threshold being lower than they have been for the first two. So, but then I've seen things that say it it might not be. So, of course, a third stimulus package, they're talking about student loan forgiveness. But then there's, is that forgiveness going to be taxable or not? So, we don't know for sure on that one as well. they want to... Extend the federal unemployment benefits, which I do think will pass just because unemployment is, you know, at a devastatingly high number. So I think the talk right now is an extra $400 a week for the federal unemployment. Um, And then, of course, a lot of that package has to do with coronavirus. So a lot of it will go to vaccine um, research, vaccine delivery. a lot of it's going to schools because I know schools have been hit hard as far as, you know, are they open? Are they shutting down? And just a lot more funding for cleaning in schools and keeping things sanitized. But the child tax credit that you're talking about, there's either talks of it going to 3000 So right now it's 2000 per child per dependent that you have. Under the age of 17. So, if you looked on your tax return, say you had two children, you'd probably see a $4,000 tax credit on the second page of your 1040. Now, it could be that it's $3,000 per child, or they're even saying $3,600 for a very young child. So, maybe that's under five. Maybe that's for you know children that would be in daycare because they it's more expensive when they're in daycare.
0: So Barbara, for the business owners that are listening, you know, you heard about uh, PPP2, right? Can you walk us through what makes a business owner be able to qualify for PPP2 and how are you helping your clients get, you know, more of that money?
1: Yep. Yeah, so I helped all of my clients through PPP round one. And for PPP round two, Two, the requirements are a little bit different. So you have to be able to show that you had a 25% decrease in revenue in any quarter of 2020, as compared to that same quarter in 2019. So for example, most of my clients that qualify for it qualify because of Q2, because that's really when the pandemic started. And so if they can show that they had a 25% drop in Q2, then they can apply for PPP second draw. And then for all of the people that didn't even know that they qualified for the first round, they can get their PPP first draw in this PPP second round without that requirement. So if you have not taken a PPP loan yet, you don't have to meet that twenty five percent drop in revenue.
0: Wow, <laughs> that's really good to know. Are there any new tax, uh, let's just call them laws that that have been implemented because of the pandemic, right? So, and and this could be for either business owners or or individuals that. And they, that you believe a person should know about, right? So any, in quote, new tax law, and off the top of my head, I can think of one. I believe they allow people to write off like the PPP loan you yeah. know, against the uh, uh, asset deduction. That's something that I just learned of. Like, So are there any other new laws that have been put in place for either individuals or business owners to know about?
1: Yep, so as you mentioned, um, PPP is not taxable and you can still deduct. So when the PPP first happened, everyone was asking, okay, say now I got $50,000 of PPP funds and I have to use that to pay my employees. They were not sure if they could deduct that $50,000 wage expense on their business returns, which They could not until that second stimulus bill passed at the end of December of last year. So so now the PBP funds are not taxable and the expenses that you use it for are a business deduction. So that was a great change in law. Some changes that not just business owners, but any individuals could take advantage of is the penalty-free withdrawal of your retirement funds. So. If you are in a place where maybe you're not making as much as you made prior to the pandemic and you need a little bit more funds, you could withdraw from your retirement accounts penalty-free and you can elect. Now, that's penalty-free, not tax-free, but you can elect to pay it back over three years on your tax returns. So say you took out $30,000 of retirement funds. You only have to claim 10,000 of it on the next three tax returns. So I know a lot of people that took advantage of that, not just because they needed funds for everyday life, but I had clients take it out for other business ventures, um, for paying for college funds. So I thought that was a good change. And that one's effective for 2021 as well. And then they also made it so that even if you take the standard deduction, you can still claim up to a $300 charitable deduction on your tax return. So I think that was to incentivize people to donate. Um, A lot of times when tax laws pass, it's because they're incentivizing you to spend in a certain way. And so this law, I think, passed because so many charities needed funding last year. And so um, they said for 2020, you can take a $300 charitable deduction. And then for 2021, you actually get 600 if you're married. And then one for business owners that I thought was great, and also a way for them to incentivize our spending, is that they changed the meals business deduction. Typically, it's a 50% deduction. So say in 2020, you spent $1,000 on business meals. You really only get a $500 business deduction for that 50%. But for 2021 and 2022, I think they want to incentivize people to go out to restaurants. And so they changed that deduction to 100%, which was my favorite tax change last year, I made a huge announcement on my stories, I was like, go out to dinner, you know, with, with all of your business friends and chat business and all the things.
0: Yeah, I saw that. And it, it even confirms you're very knowledgeable and you keep up to date with what's going on because you are right. I did see that the meal deduction was increased from 50% to hundred mm-hmm. percent. And Barbara, I wanted to ask you this. I learned this from Robert Kiyosaki and it was one of the defining moments in my life. He said that employees are taxed first before they even get their money to be able to spend. But business owners are able to spend first and they can spend in ways that reduce their tax burden and then whatever is left gets to be taxed. And this dichotomy like, makes a huge difference in one, the amount of money that a person is getting, but also in their ability to be able to build wealth. So can you talk about this difference?
1: Yeah, I love that you brought that up. I love the four is, I think he calls it the four quadrants, Um, rich dad, poor dad. Mm
0: -hmm. Employee, self-employed, employee, self-employed, business owner and investor.
1: Yeah, yeah. So employees, there's really not a whole lot you can do tax-wise to lower your tax burden unless you make a high enough income to be a qualified investor. And then um, you can take advantage of some of the things I was talking about earlier. And so the self-employed, there's just so much more freedom in how you can spend your money and the amount of money that you're taxed on. And so you can kind of, you know, I always tell my clients, let's find a way to write off your whole life. Um, and so we're always trying to find ways that that maybe a seemingly personal trip, personal travel vacation, can then be a business trip. And then it's a business deduction. Or how can we, you want to buy a new car? Well let's find a way to write that off in the business. Or you want to save for your children's college. Well, there's a way to do that in your business. And so, yeah, self-employed just have the f- so much more freedom than employees.
0: Uh, Barbara, can you speak to us about uh, what's called the backdoor Roth, right? So with the Roth IRA, there's a certain income limit for individuals to qualify for that. But there's also something called the backdoor Roth. Can you walk us through that process?
1: Yeah, I take advantage of that each year as well. So basically you there's a workaround to that income limit for the Roth contributions. And so you make a non-deductible traditional IRA contribution and then your financial advisor or at least for us we use our financial advisor, then he contributes that to the Roth And so it's typically, you can typically do that within about a month of contributing from one to the other. Just don't have it be the same day. But yeah, there's a, it's called a backdoor Roth.
0: Phenomenal. And for individuals who don't have financial advisors, a regular brokerage account like a Charles Schwab, Fidelity, Vanguard, they'll be able to help you do that as well. So you contribute that money. Into and what did you call it? The the first account that it's placed in,
1: non deductible traditional IRA.
0: So that non deductible traditional IRA, you put that money in first, and then, like I'm saying, a brokerage account at either Charles Schwab, Fidelity, Vanguard, any of the ones with uh, an IRA, they'll be able to help you then roll that over into. Uh, Roth IRA. right? So that is the backdoor. And that's the way for individuals who are earning beyond a certain income limit to be able to get access to uh, the Roth IRA, which essentially allows you to be able to invest without paying taxes on those gains in the future. So it's a vehicle that is very, very attractive to individuals who want to find ways to be able to build wealth without paying taxes. For me, I tend to say, at the very least, when it comes to investing, start investing, right? Begin building wealth. And it's super important for people to start. So I don't only stress on Roth IRAs. I also believe a person should even begin with a brokerage account because at the end of the day, If you have a hundred percent of a million dollars and all you're paying is 15% in terms of tax, well, then guess what? At least you have, or you still keep $850,000 of money that you wouldn't have had anyways. So go ahead and tell my audience for individuals who want to know, like in what way, Uh, Will you be able to help them? And I know you serve more of, you know, entrepreneurs, business owners. So what are some of the services that you offer for this type of client?
1: For my new business owners, I like to start out with a business intensive. And that's a one-on-one call where we go over all things business and taxes. I answer all their questions and anxieties about owning a business And then I would say a majority of my business is tax preparation, where I will help you maximize your deductions, stay in compliance, but also keep in the most tax advantageous way. And then tax strategy is my high ticket item where business owners save tens of thousands of dollars per year on taxes. And if they are a tax strategy client, then I will also do the tax preparation just to make sure that the strategies are executed in the right way.
0: Are you able to work with business owners in any state? And two, what type of bookkeeping services are you offering to clients as well?
1: Yeah. So unlike attorneys that have to practice in one state we can practice in all 50 so that's been amazing for you know a 100% virtual practice I can help anyone in any state and as far as bookkeeping I do have a team of bookkeepers on staff and so if you are a tax preparation or tax strategy client then we can do the bookkeeping as well I I always get clients, you know, in the middle of tax season that are like, well, I haven't done anything for all of last year, but this is what I think my profit is. And then we go in and fix the books. And like last year, I had a client save $18,000 just because we cleaned up the bookkeeping. So I know business owners don't want to pay for it at the beginning because it just seems like an annoying expense, but it really can help you a lot, save time and save money.
0: So Barbara, for individuals who are listening, who uh, want to connect with you, can you share with us maybe a website or on social media where that business owner or that entrepreneur that's listening to this, where they can find you?
1: Yep. They can go to yourtaxcoach.biz or I'm on any social media platform at yourtaxcoach, but I am on Instagram the most. And I story every day on little tips and tricks and tax savings and money mindset and all the things. So if you are on social media, I would say, find me on Instagram at your tax coach.
0: Barbara, can you share one last mic drop? Something that's just going to blow our minds, right? And then we'll be able to leave on that note.
1: Mm. So I already said a couple of them. Definitely look at your entity type. And if you have children, you should be paying your kids. And you can reach out to me to figure out how we can do that. But also one that always blows people's minds, you can Google the Augusta rule. It started in Augusta, Georgia with the Masters Golf Tournament back in the day, like before Airbnb was around. And which is a stock I invested in because of you, the rule states that as a business owner, you can pay yourself rent personally, out of the business so that it creates a business expense on the business, and then it's completely tax free to you personally. So I like that rule for, I would say 99% of my business owners take advantage of that rule.
0: Oh that's amazing. Thank you so much for this. So you all put the details in the podcast notes. I told you this was going to be a phenomenal episode. You know, sometimes it's just super important for us to be able to dive in and learn, right? Whether it's taxes or or estate planning, which we've had a guest on a prior episode um be able to show us what are certain things that we need to know and how can we take advantage of these strategies? So yeah, um, Barbara, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast episode today and you all, uh, thank you. Yeah, thank you for listening.